we're back again. We were gone in Korea, and then we were gone at family camp, uh, and, and we're back again. Stephanie and I are excited to be getting kind of into the rhythm of summer, the at-home part of our summer. I know it's different for everybody, though. Um, we're excited to uh, feel like God has really led us uh, into a sermon series exploring uh, the book of Galatians. Um, Galatians is actually the first book that scholars believe in the New Testament that was written. So it was written before there was any other New Testament books written. There were uh, experiences with Jesus. Uh, There was teaching about Jesus going around. And one of those earliest teachings that we have uh, is in the form of a letter in the book of Galatians. And as, as Stephanie and I are kind of basking in that, like, studying that um, we're excited for what the Spirit tells us about who we are and about how to deal uh, with life together in the church, uh, about the unique uh, gospel that we come together and are united by. Has anybody ever uh, stepped into the middle of an argument? This is on topic, don't worry. Have, have, you ever, have you ever maybe been on an email chain that you weren't totally paying attention to, and then something really angry comes through, and you're like, whoa, and everyone's like, did you see that email? And you're like, oh, let me look, and then you see it, and it's like, whoa, that was hot, and then, and then you, you're like, but, but what, am I, what is it responding to? What's the context? What's going on uh, that's creating this document? What's gone on that creates this amount of force and energy and passion in this person about this subject? Uh, When we're reading, uh, sometimes, I I think that's a pretty common experience. I think that's an experience that we have in the church. I think it's an experience that we have in our culture, right? Where uh, I know just just yesterday, actually, I saw somebody post something on Facebook that I didn't understand, and it was obviously about some piece of news that I had no idea about, right? Uh, but, but for that person, um, it was the Starbucks story about police. I still don't know all the details, so I'm not going to speculate. But for that person, their personal history combined with the social groups that they identified with, combined with their occupation, right, it made them come in really hot about this particular issue. Uh, and, and I came in halfway, so I just said, what? I don't understand. And then, I, then, I got, then I got more, right? I got more context in a loving way. Um, so that's not your experience on Facebook? I don't know. Who are, you, who are your friends? Um, when we come into Galatians, it's interesting that the first, uh, the biggest chunk of our New Testament, uh, most of the books... And the first uh, piece of the New Testament written uh, that we get is actually a letter that's part of an ongoing conversation. It's part of a letter, it's part of an ongoing conversation, and it's by the Apostle Paul. And, and as some of you who are familiar with the New Testament know that sometimes Paul comes in hot to a conversation. Does anybody have that impression? Uh, sometimes we're like, Whoa, man, cool. You're, why are you yelling at me? Why all caps? Why all caps in your email? He kind of does that. There's a part in Galatians. See, I'm re- writing these large letters with my own hand, right? It's like, yeah, you're all caps at us. 
what's going on. And so as we introduce the book of Galatians, I want to catch us up uh, to what's going on in the community that Paul has Paul so heated and, and riled up that we get what we get in this letter that is good news and grace and filled with the love and promise of God for us, okay? This is, this is good news to the church, um, and Paul's passionate about it, and he's coming in um, hot and a little bit angry, and you can kind of tell in the writing that's in the Bible. Um, one thing that's, the thing that's important to know is that, that in Galatia, Galatia is in what's modern-day Turkey, um, and it's this little wedge, it's kind of landlocked, but it's in the, I think it has the Black Sea, but not the Persian Gulf. Uh, it's, not, it's not the Persian, I mean, I'm, my geography is all messed up now. Not the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so it's a little bit landlocked. It's, it's this region, it's called Galatia because it's where the Gauls settled. That's uh, like German type people. They, there were some that migrated down to this area, and it was called Galatia. It was known, actually, for its kind of uh, European pagan kind of worship, right? And these people were thought to be uh, kind of barbaric because they were bigger than everybody uh, and because of their uh, religious practices. Uh, it's, it's this particular region. And then uh, in, in the Galatia that Paul is writing to, now it's taken over by Rome, like everything else is. So they're speaking Greek now and starting to speak Greek. There's probably uh, the Roman worship systems are in there. There's, there's a synagogue there with Jewish people because Jewish people are spread out all over in this area. Um, and there's this tiny group of Christians who Paul has come through and told about Jesus. And it seems like most of these are probably not people that are Jewish by birth, but maybe have some familiarity with who God's people are, who the Jewish people are, some familiarity with their customs, but they're mostly won over by this good news about Jesus that Paul has brought to them. That was, that was some geographic context. Uh, what's happening that has Paul so hot is that there's people, there's a big controversy in Galatia and in a lot of parts of the world that there are people that are saying they're following God, but they are clearly not doing something that scripture has commanded and that God's people have done for thousands of years. Uh, they're neglecting to do something that's really important. And there's a group that says, hey, you've got to do it. And it's something that they, they're neglecting to do with their private parts. That's what my mom called them, private parts. Isn't it weird that our private parts become the most public, right? It's, I don't think it's an accurate name. It becomes something, and, it, and it's true, that what we do uh, with, with the parts that we cover... Uh, with some of the things where there's most shame or sensitivity around, and there should be sensitivity around it, um, has public and social implications. It's where our biggest public and social controversies come, come across. And it, and it becomes very deep in how we define ourselves. So there's a controversy that people are neglecting to do what Scripture has always said you're supposed to do. There's no New Testament at this point. 
Scripture has always said, this is what you're supposed to do with your private parts. Women, you're off the hook. It was just for men. And it was circumcision. Some of you know the practice of circumcision. And, and Paul comes in hot in a way that you might not expect, given his background as a Pharisee, somebody who kept the, the law and, and did everything intentionally for almost all of his life, exactly as Scripture commanded. Let's get into Galatians 1 for a little bit. It reads like this, Paul, an apostle, sent from, not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who has raised him from the dead, and all brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. That's probably a, somewhat equivalent to putting your title like, CEO, right? It's like, listen, you need to know who you're dealing with. Uh, it might come across as a little defensive at first, right? Like, I have authority from God. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a good one, right? Uh, this is how Paul starts all his letters. It's, a, it's an address, and he manages to get it out, right? And, which is important to get out that thing. What I really want is what's good, what's gracious and peaceful for you. Um, but then back into the main point. Uh, who gave himself, oh, you know, it keeps going. He gave himself to rescue us from our sins, uh, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then here's the point. I am astonished has your mom ever been astonished with you? <laughs> I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. There's some cursing in the Bible. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word, and we can be thankful for it. The, the main point of, uh, I, was, I was quizzing Lynette about how to talk about circumcision with the young kids, but, but they're mostly gone. It's the older kids that we have here. Uh, but the main point of Galatians has to do with this question about whether it's okay for Gentile believers in Jesus not to do this thing that Scripture has always told them to do. And there's confusion, and there's problems with it, and it's important for us to understand the context of this controversy, to understand the point that Paul is making about who God is and what it means to be God's people. Paul says here, it looks like there's two Gospels, right? 
or more than two Gospels, but it looks like there's some people that are preaching a Gospel that isn't the real one. And at this little nascent form of Christianity, it could be easy for this Gospel, this intrusion of Jesus uh, into a a religious context uh, to just kind of fade into the background. But Paul says, this is the most important thing. Jesus is doing something radically different than what we've seen so far, and it can't just go back to normal after Jesus. It can't go back to the same patterns. And so he's riled up about it. But first, we have to kind of take a step back and understand uh, the significance of circumcision that that, uh, Scripture and that Paul would see. Uh, First, we need to understand that, uh, that circumcision came into a context uh, really early in the Old Testament. When we get all those images of things like the Tower of Babel, of things like the flood uh, that, that was judgment on the sin, where people were just tearing each other apart, where violence and oppression uh, was just the norm, that God spoke to Abraham and, try, and decided to make a new community of people that would reflect his goodness, shalom, we've called it, uh, where all things are as they should be. Back to the created order of human thriving. That's not the one I wanted yet. Back to the order of human thriving. It was clear... I'm going to skip over and I'm going to go... It was clear in God's... Ah, I'm going to wait on that. Sorry. That's my bad. Um, it was clear that circumcision uh, was about setting a people apart. A setting a people apart from the violence, uh, from, from the sin and the wickedness that was going on in the world, that was leading it down a path of destruction. Uh, setting them apart to reflect God's goodness and good purposes in the world. There were a lot of laws and rules about uh, setting God's people apart. They're in Leviticus. Uh, there's tons of them uh, that go on. And, and the Jewish assumptions uh, about these rules, uh, they were often termed, uh, used in terms of cleanliness versus of being defiled. Uh, those had really some technical meaning, but they also would have carried the weight for the Jewish audience, maybe the Jewish people in Galatia, but also in other parts of the world, other parts of the Christian world, people who believed in Jesus, they would have seen somebody who was uncircumcised as that is unclean in a way that it technically separates you from God, and it's also dirty and gross and not okay, right? It had been burned into their mind that this state of being was unclean and it wasn't okay. And so when they encounter people that say, oh, we believe in God, but they're not doing that, that God said, it's going to be a really big mental hurdle for them to get around and say, oh, that's okay. I can let it go. And I can love you as a brother or sister, right? So that's going to create a big obstacle for Jewish people to welcome in uh, Gentile Christians. It's clearly 
uh, was God's commands. Uh, God gave that in the covenant with Abraham. Um, but then he also, uh, if you remember when we were talking about Exodus, and there's this angel that chases after Moses, uh, maybe to kill him or his son, it's not quite clear, but because he hadn't circumcised his son, right? God, is, God was really serious about this as an identity marker, as a sign of setting yourself apart from God. On the other hand, there's the Galatian Christians, Gentiles, who came from this mixture of Gaul kind of pagan culture and Roman imperial culture, uh, and their assumptions, sensibilities about circumcision, right? Most of these people who were converts to Christianity would have been adults. And circumcision is a very uh, different experience and practice when you're an adult than when you're eight. At least you don't remember, or eight days old. You don't remember it at least when you're eight days old, right? And so there's that, the very real, this, is a, this would be a painful and difficult choice just physically uh, for Christians to make. There's also cultural and religious background that uh, may have led Galatians to believe that, that it would affect their fertility negatively, right? So this is in their cultural mindset that, that doing that would actually, could actually render them infertile. Um, we know that's not true, but they may not have. Another thing that's going on in Galatia at the time is, and in the pressure to, to be circumcised, is that... Um, that there were only a few ways to get out of obligations to pagan and imperial cult worship. So the imperial cult is like the worship of Augustus Caesar. You're worshiping the emperor who is the head of the government. And one of those was to be part of another sanctioned religion like Judaism. But you couldn't really claim to be part of Judaism unless you were circumcised. And so there's this fear that if we don't do this thing that we're going to get persecuted all the more by the Romans or by our surrounding context, right? It would maybe be easier to just do that because then you have an out on this other stuff. And then there's Paul's experience. So we have the Jewish assumptions. Man, you've got to do it. It's just the law. The Galatian assumptions, like, I don't know, that's a pretty big step to take. And then there's Paul's experience. He's gone all the way down the road of following God's commands. That becomes clearer and clearer in, uh, in the book of Galatians. But Paul is a guy who gave himself as a Pharisee to studying the law, studying all the ins and outs of what separates the Jewish people. Paul has gone as far as he could in following every rule and law. And he goes so far to the point that when this Christian movement's established, he thinks it doesn't honor the law enough, and so he goes after them and tries to kill Christians. He's zealous for the law uh, in a way that he thinks is what the Bible is telling him to do. Uh, but then he has a supernatural encounter. He's struck blind on the road, by Jesus telling him, why have you persecuted me? He realizes that it's the Lord that he said that he served 
that he all of a sudden realizes that he's been betraying and persecuting with his zeal to keep the rules. Paul knows some of the stakes, but he also knows where the end of the road of making sure you followed every rule perfectly and making sure, more importantly, that everybody else followed every rule perfectly. He knows where the end of that road is, and that by the grace of God, it can end at the feet of a dead but resurrected Jesus, of a living Jesus who interrupts that pattern and that cycle and gives grace. So there's two Gospels. There's the Gospel of Jesus, uh, and then there's the Gospel of that I would say Paul is talking about a, a kind of rules following as a way to get God uh, to save us. Uh, in, the, in the Jewish people and the Pharisaic movement in particular, this was an intense uh, spiritual tradition. And the idea was, uh, through looking at, at Scripture, they thought that if we would... They're, they're feeling persecuted, they're feeling isolated, they're feeling oppressed by foreign governments, and they see that if we, the con, it's the consequence of their sin, and if we would just follow the rules right, then God will change our situation. If we would just follow the rules correctly, God will save our nation. The problem is that we're not pure, and we're tolerating impurity in our nation, and that's why things are terrible right now, right? That's what Paul is coming from and has been trumpeting, right? If we can just get back to Scripture and to following it correctly, God will receive us in a new way that puts all this misery behind us. It's not unsimilar, though, unfortunately, uh, that way of thinking isn't unsimilar from the pagan context that's all around. Uh, the pagan context uh, is, is offering sacrifices to idols, to, to lots of different gods, in a quid pro quo arrangement. So I come and I offer this god a sacrifice so that I get something, so that I get children, so that I get livestock, so that I get blessed, right? There's all kinds of this worship, and it's all based on, I'm going to give this God something so that this God will give me something. In our culture now, uh, Jaron uh, introduced us to a book called Growing Young, uh, and it refers to some other books and researches that talk about um, one of the main forms of religion in our Christian churches is called moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism. It's, it's, it's what researchers find when they talk to people um, of all ages, but particularly young people in the pews, that what people are picking up from our churches oftentimes is, hey, do the right thing. Be good. This is just a place that in, reinforces um, the morals of general goodness. Um, it can take different forms as far as which churches are more into what, what morals, right? Um, but mostly that's what we get from church, uh, that, that this is going to be a good thing for you. It's going to help you have a happier life. Uh, that's the therapeutic, so it's moral therapeutic. Deism is, and God's 
around, but he's not super actively involved in my life. Deism is kind of like God kind of set things in motion, um, but isn't kind of a daily interaction or a daily relationship. He hasn't, doesn't intervene in, in particularly uh, notable ways. All of those fall around some of the same dynamics, and, and I think that it's ways that kind of in, in our fallenness we're wired to think uh, that somehow we control our fate. We're desperate for the idea of, of controlling our own uh, destiny, and somehow that we control God. And somehow that we can make things the way we want to, the way they should be if we would only try a little bit harder, right? Jesus interrupts with a true gospel. It's not a new gospel. It's not foreign at all to the Hebrew scriptures. Um, but it's the true gospel, and it's where Jesus interrupts. This is Jesus' experience. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. I think this is a little bit like Paul's astonishment later, and, you know, your mom's shock, you know? It's like, the Pharisee was surprised. Jesus knew that this was kind of a judgment surprise. It says, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. The scribes, the experts of the law, didn't want to get left out. So later, one of the experts of the law answered him and said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus wasn't too worried about that. (laughs) Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You load them down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you won't lift one finger to help them. Paul knows the living Jesus. He encounters the people of Galatia, and he believes that it's not necessary for them to be circumcised in order to be part of God's family, to be part of God's gracious community. And he believes that because that's what we see Jesus' trajectory of ministry Jesus challenges that whole way of thinking that by doing doing, uh, just these external ritualistic things that all of a sudden we can change the circumstance, that all of a sudden that's what brings us into right right relationship with God. Uh, He rejects the idea that the exterior is more important than the interior, uh, and we'll see Paul continue on that. But he also is faithful to the Old Testament, where, where God's fulfillment of restoring shalom and goodness is all about God's promise and not our action. It's all about God's initiative. It's not about our works. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, 
the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into the great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. It's the promise of God to Abraham that's going to be fulfilled. There's no conditions on this promise. God says, I will do it. There are twists and turns in the story, but God promised it, and God is going to fulfill his promise. God's promise is for you. God has promised your salvation. God has promised to put a new heart in you, and God is going to do it. There were failures along the way. The people of Israel rebelled. They're in exile. But the solution to that problem is prophesied in Ezekiel 36.26. It includes a change of behavior, But what comes before the change of behavior is a change of heart that God does. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Just like Jesus was talking about, it's not the outside that needs to get taken care of. The outside isn't the important thing. It's the inside. It's the inside that expresses itself in love. But we're so easy to miss miss that. I know in my life, I've been really easy to miss this. I was uh, born into a a pastor's family, a conservative Baptist pastor's family in Salem, Oregon. Uh, I was raised uh, with the knowledge of Scripture and the knowledge of God. Somehow, uh, and it was very much a part of the cultural upbringing, although there's lots of different messages that you can latch into Christianity. Somehow, as I grew up into my teen years, I was part of a small Christian high school. um, Following Jesus became core to my identity, and I wanted to do it well. What stuck out to me as ways to do that well Uh, was to reject the sinfulness of the world and to do things differently. For me, those main things in that looked like don't swear, don't use bad language, don't smoke, don't drink, you know, don't be promiscuous, don't have sex outside of marriage, right? Those were the things. Uh, So I came out of a a small Christian high school, very... And, and into a, a public, private college, very concerned because everyone had told me, oh, if you go to public school, that's the devil's playground and people lose their faith all the time. So I was going to hold on to what I knew was true. I was going to hold on to my faith. And so I was really zealous to do that. And I remember my freshman year, uh, there were friends that came into my dorm room. I may have told this story before, and I'm sorry if you have to hear it over and over again. Um, there's friends that came into my dorm room, and they were cussing. They were using profanity. I don't think it was in a mean way to anybody, but it just was pretty much the way they talked. And I told them, hey, you can't cuss in my room. I wanted to set up a place that was free from the sinfulness of the world, right? Right? 
And maybe it would even be a good witness, right? Uh, that, 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 I, that this was going to be a different place, that I was going to set boundaries on this. I remember later in my freshman year, I had a roommate that I perceived as annoying to me. And, and who, when people would come and hang out and he was there, would diminish my social status because of his annoyance. Um, you guys are all above this, right? I was a freshman. Uh, I remember that, that I was confronted with some of my, the problem with where I was headed uh, in my relationship with God and people, when one day, in anger, what blurted out of my mouth was, don't you know I could throw you out of this window? It, it was on the third floor. Um, something was wrong. If somehow I had managed to keep a pure, what I thought was a pure look on the outside, in my heart, there was something really wrong. It didn't, and, and I, was, I was realizing, and I was led in discipleship by good Christian leaders to look again at my heart. And also to look again at scripture. Was, was the Bible really saying what I thought it was saying about these English words in this context, right? Or was that a little bit more of, of my desire to find some easy boundary marker to keep myself separated from other people? Jesus interrupts our self-righteousness, our obsession with rules, with a gospel of grace that's true for us. Jesus interrupts our, our desire to, to maintain purity or uniformity or, um, or what we think of as, as true or right. He interrupts it with a gospel of grace. I'm concerned... Uh, by some of the things that I see in uh, evangelical church culture, right? I've been concerned about it, and I don't always speak about it. But there's, there's some movements that have to do with, um, with, with Christian nationalism in the U.S. Uh, there's an idea, I don't need to go back to this slide. There was a flag slide, and it had the, um, the, the scripture reference, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and humble themselves and pray, then I'll return and restore their land. I'll heal their land. Uh, this was something that was quoted to me a lot of times about America, and the assumption being that America is God's people called by God's name. And the, the assumption to me in that is, is that white America really is God's people called by God's name and the founders and all of this was all mixed, mixed in with this. And that, if, that, that the bad things that are happening, and, and you'll see uh, conservative Christian leaders say this a lot, uh, sometimes about terrible things like Katrina or 9-11, the bad things that are happening are the repayments for our moral impurity. And that if we would just get our act together that God would heal us. This is the gospel that Paul's coming in hot against. Paul has no problem making people angry by saying, uh-uh, that's not where we're going. 
and it's okay if that upsets you. And that's, that's true for us as a church too, and I, I need that to be true for me as, as a pastor and as someone following Jesus. That we are saved by God's grace, by God's initiative. And I know I don't want to pick on just those blind spots because we all have blind spots from all, all kinds of angles. But, but God saves us by grace. Christ interrupts our desire uh, for purity with his advocation for grace. God challenges us to go towards the people that we might see as unclean, the people that we want to remove or separate ourselves from in love, without requirements of the law, but with the desire to see God's spirit visit and build new life. Later on in Galatians, Paul talks about, I'm going to steal all the sermons. Um, <laughs> later on in Galatians, Paul talks about, like, when did you receive the Spirit? Apparently, they had this powerful experience of the Spirit, probably involved, like, speaking in tongues, uh, real important and true encounter with the work of the living God. He said, when did you receive the Spirit? Was it as you are, or was it after you started following the Jewish law? It's, it's the belief and the faithfulness of Christ that comes first. And our response to that is the overflow. The overflow of the laws and regulations, just like Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to overflow it, that it's almost irrelevant because the heart is so good that it can't break the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A heart on fire and transformed by the Spirit uh, isn't in need of the particulars in the same way. And it's our responsibility as a church to shepherd that, to foster that. And we have and will continue to encounter people who are vulnerable to the judgmentalism of a false gospel. LGBTQ uh, teens are at such a high risk for suicide. I have statistics, but, but I think we know the statistics. And, and, and some of that uh, is certainly from the messages they hear from friends, family, society, and from churches. It's our responsibility to be people who demonstrate the overflowing love of God in a way that, that, that people know they're accepted, not based uh, especially on identity markers, um, but also on behavior, that, that, that they are welcomed and invited to the same transforming work of the Spirit, that they are loved not by what they do, but by who God is and God's faithfulness to be with us where we are. And we can do this, church. Um, I know with the, the news from the denomination that sexuality is kind of a hot topic in our church and our denomination, um, and the leadership team and the pastors, we're, we're planning on, on looking more thoroughly uh, into how we love our LGBTQ brothers and sisters uh, and those outside of the Christian community in ways that are really listening well. 
listening well to them and also listening well again to Scripture and examining what are the ways uh, that, that we're interpreting that and, and are those appropriate. Um, and, and so those are, those are important things. It's not um, the sign of some radical departure, but it is the sign of looking and listening again and again. How are we actually being called to love those who Christ loves? How are you tempted towards a false gospel? How are you tempted to see yourself as pure from those people? Right? All of us have a different temptation in that area, but I don't think there's any of us who have no temptation. Right? Do we want to appear pure by doing the right, just the right Facebook post on just the right issue that shows uh, how upright and pure we are? Do we want to separate ourselves from that kind of Christian or from that kind of Christian or from that false religion or that false religion? Are, are we focused on separation rather than love? Are we focused on the things that overflow in a heart of love that restore God's world? Or are we focused um, on rules and regulations uh, that are more about maintaining our identity than they are about seeing God's goodness and growth and love. We have um, very legitimate debates in Christian ethics that are around what actually is health and human thriving, and they definitely have to be informed by Scripture because we deceive ourselves all the time about all kinds of things. So I'm not saying that we're not grounding ethics in Scripture, but I'm saying that that we do have a tendency uh, to to look for rules that are easy for us and that separate us from others uh, and that that hinder us from overflowing in love. And we need to continue to look at the ways that that's at work in our lives. Let's pray. God, I confess again um, my desire to be justified uh, by myself, to just get it right, to at least just get it right for once. (laughs) Uh, God, if we are your people, if I am your child, I confess that that it's an inside job. Bring me to the end of my rope again and again, knowing that what I have to offer is nothing compared to what you give freely. The grace, the transformation of heart, the love. God, I thank you that you see me, a self-righteous 18-year-old or 40-year-old, that you see me and you're going to continue to be willing to visit me with your spirit. God, would you make me and us as a church just agents of your spirit, seeing your work uh, unfold in all the remotest areas in surprising ways that we can again and again 
step into the truth that we're not, a, we're not slaves to fear, but we're children of God with your spirit empowered to your purposes of restoring a hurting, broken, desperate world. In Jesus' name we pray.